Alrighty, well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are we? Good, good. good. So then, uh, as per usual, um, I want to open our time by <clears throat> reading a psalm and also a prayer. Uh, I've gone back to this book for this morning called Be Thou My Vision. It is a... Um, a book for daily liturgy, if you're into that sort of thing. Um, liturgy for daily worship, newly released. It's pretty cool. Um, and I'll be reading a prayer written by John Calvin for this morning. Prayer for illumination. Right, I want to read Psalm 49 to set our sights on what we will be discussing. Um, the fact that we have the revelation from God is kind of a big deal, and so I, I want to make sure that we we start there and realize that all that we have, all that we uh, know, is given to us, and it's given to us by God. Hey, Craig, how are you? Um, and there, there are note sheets on the back, note sheets and homework. Now... I may be a little optimistic with the homework because I have no idea if we're going to actually get through all of this to be able to move on to the next topic, um, but it's there uh, for your taking. Uh, but if you need a note sheet, you can get you one because they're on that chair. But anywho, let's read the Word, um, the Word of God, and pray, and then we can go over our homework. So, Psalm 49 says this, Hear this, all peoples, give ear all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb, I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble? When the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches. Truly, no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. Their graves are their homes forever, <clears throat> their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like, a, he is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts. Selah. Like sheep they are appointed for <coughs> Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd. And the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol, with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. Selah. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed. And though you get praise when you do well for yourself... 
His soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see the light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, is like the beasts that perish. Let's pray. (coughs) Grant, Almighty God, that as you shine on us by your word, we may not be blind at midday, nor willfully seek darkness, and thus lull our minds asleep. But may we be roused daily by your words, and may we stir up ourselves more and more to fear your name, and thus present ourselves and all our pursuits as a sacrifice to you, that you may peaceably rule and and perpetually dwell in us, until you gather us to your celestial habitation, where there is reserved for us eternal rest and glory, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Any thoughts on the passage or on the prayer? What does Selah mean? It's a great question. Uh, there's actually quite a bit of debate about it. The most common translation is pause. So kind of like a, uh, uh, let's see, Psalm 49 is sons of Korah to the choir master. So it's, it's meant to be sung. And... Um, Oftentimes, you'll see Selah as almost like a, um, a, yeah, a break for, for, for you to like sit and think about it. Um, and even, even in, in the passage where we read it, there, the statements that are being made just before we see Selah require some, some thought. So, yeah, more like a pause and think sort of thing. I always thought it was like, amen. <laughs> yeah, you know, I agree to that, Selah. I call it Selah. <coughs> Selah is the way to say it. Selah. Uh, yeah, I think probably if we were going to go with the Hebrew pronunciation, we would emphasize the the last syllable. But okay. We're Americans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. So then... In um, verse 7, no man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. Um, so the, ran- the redemption of his soul is costly, and he should cease trying forever. So just, you know, the idea of um, each person each one of us stand or fall before the Lord and, and even thinking that certain you can't buy your way into heaven yeah. Yeah. certain branch of Christianity you know you can pray somebody in or, or uh, anyway yeah different cults you know. sure yeah and clear teaching says it's not how it happens yeah yeah, and actually, in in choosing Psalm forty nine, i i hadn't um, I hadn't picked Psalm forty nine until this morning. This was just part of my uh, reading um, this morning, and I thought it fit, so put it in. But it does it does connect in some ways to what we will be discussing today because we're looking at the doctrine of mankind. Um, 
so then for your homework, uh, you were tasked with uh, reading through Romans 1, 18 to 320, uh, three times, and if possible, using three different translations, uh, and making observations, and like we did for uh, Genesis 1 through 3, a lot of those observations are going to be just things that we bring up in the natural discussion uh, with questions that I'm asking throughout our time together, but if you have things that you would like to share from your observations, now would be a great time to do that. So, any any observations to share from uh, the passage that we were reading. Yeah, uh, what does this text tell me about God? Well, chapter 1, Romans, tells you really nowadays. Back then, what people were doing, uh, they, verse 28, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and God gave them over a reprobate mind, and they're doing all the evil things, backbiters, haters, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, uh, even though they, we do all these things now, you know, on a daily basis, I mean, non-Christian and Christian alike, bro. Yeah. God gives us the chance still to come to me. Yeah. Yeah, and that's amazing. And, and and I think what we'll see is that Paul is describing human nature, and it's something that's common to all of us. Uh, the things that, that Paul is describing in, in Romans 1 uh, is not painting a pretty picture by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but that's what we are outside of Christ. I have a question. Okay. Um, just looking at the definition of election and sanctification, mm-hmm. Paul is chosen by election. In what verse is this specifically? Or justification, I'm sorry. Um, My one Bible had all the um, different destination or different definitions. Okay. Um, I see. I guess it would be in chapter one, the beginning part, because because he's um, chosen by God, but then. My ESV says he's set apart. Mm, mm-hmm. So election, the definition was chosen. Right. But justification is set apart. There'll be sanctification. A sanctification, yeah, that's what yeah. I have written up here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wasn't sure which word is is being used in the original language there. To be set apart. Because that's what I have in the NASB. Oh, well, it, yes, yeah. It, we don't question the NASB, do we? <laughs> <coughs> or the King James. Or, or the King James. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was, I want to say maybe... And that's verse, verse 1. Yeah, because he's, he's chosen as, as the servant um, to be yeah. called an apostle, but then it says set apart. Right, so... Um, Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Uh, set apart. Um, but that to me was for the gospel of God. But God chose him to be the apostle. So is that election for that part? 
I think they're more general terms for both of them. So, um, called to be an apostle um, is describing a specific task, a specific office that Paul has been given. Uh, but then set apart is that um, because of who God has called him to be, he's also been um, set apart, which is it's, um, it's actually not even the word for sanctification. Um, used to indicate the separation of the wicked from the righteous at the return of Christ. Uh, so he has been given a specific task and God has separated him out, which, I mean, it does carry, I think, some of the um, same undertones as, as something like sanctification would, where there's a, um, a separation of the holy and the unholy. Uh, but Paul, having been given the specific office of apostle, I think he's explaining further that he's then set apart for the specific purpose of proclaiming the gospel which God promised beforehand through the prophets. So he's he's given the task of explaining what was given beforehand uh, to people who have um, not made the connection that, that Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Okay. Is that, I mean... It was like, I had those written down, and sure. I'm like, is it separate, or is it both together? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's talking about the doctrine of election. Okay. I think it's it's more so speaking to the fact that Paul has been given the specific office of apostle. Okay. Yeah. Where, but it seems like that's that same thought is often expressed even for any believer, like being set apart, right? Sanctified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there would be a, f- a couple phrases. Um, Can you say that again? I don't think apostles can be elected anyway. Okay. Because they're appointed by Jesus Christ right. himself. You can be appointed as a disciple. Yeah. But apostle isn't something you can elect someone into. That's why there's... That's a good... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think even all of the conversation is taking place outside of the doctrine of election, which is referring to salvation. Okay. Um... But even if we're thinking of election in terms of like what happens with, is it Matthias who's added to the 12? They, they draw lots. There's some sort of, I, I mean, that, that's still not like an election process that's relying on the will of God to um, have 12. <laughs> uh, the significant number of 12. Uh, but... Yeah, that it's not it's not something that you're like running for the office of apostle and Brandon, I need your vote. So <laughs> we don't have it. Sorry. <laughs> well, thanks. The office of apostle is done. <laughs> you see something similar in Acts thirteen too, uh, when Paul and Barnabas are set apart. Set apart for the work of missions. Yeah. Missions. It's not like they're being chosen out of the rest of the disciples to be saved. It's that yeah, yeah. They're being chosen for a specific task. Right, right. So Paul set apart specifically to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, as he claims throughout 
his epistles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The concept of being set yeah. That's helpful. Little, he didn't even know that at, at first. He thought he was one of the Jews. And that, right. The Jews, I'm done with you, God, one of the Gentiles. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. Well, actually, he knew pretty quick, though. Because in Acts um, 9, when Paul was converted, I mean, I'm not trying to be. <laughs> <laughs> but um, 9.15, Acts 9.15, where um, Ananias came, um, and the Lord, okay, 15, because the Lord said to him, though, as far as Ananias, though, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Um, okay. Yeah, he probably knew that from Ananias, but he probably didn't want to. It took a while to kick in. He didn't really want to accept it because he's a he's a yeah, Jew, you yeah. know. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Hebrew of Hebrews. Yeah. Yeah. Any other observations to share from the reading Romans one eighteen to three twenty? So we will bring those up throughout because I do have some specific questions. Uh, that hopefully your reading will help answer uh, and we'll address some of that as we get there. So just even as a brief review, last week we were considering uh, finishing our discussion on uh, the doctrine of God and uh, we we gave a a brief overview, (laughs) Uh, but we considered God as the loving creator Supreme authority and final judge. We looked at Genesis 1 to 3 to, to do that. But based on who God is, we spent some time considering then what our responsibility is to God based on who He is uh, as loving Creator, supreme authority, and final judge. Um, we l- talked a little bit about the image of God. Um, we are to bear His image to the world, and this happens in part by exercising authority on behalf of God in everyday life, uh, the process of taking dominion. Uh, We looked at how Adam did that in the garden, naming the animals and and whatnot. Um, But we we also saw the connection between God as loving creator, supreme authority, and final judge, and how that is crucial to the message of the gospel. Uh, Because God created, he's the one who makes the rules. Um, And, and, Therefore, he has supreme authority, but he's also going to be the final judge. And this is good news and bad news for mankind, uh, as we will see today. So that's that's what we want to discuss, the doctrine of mankind, really. Um, and I want to look at mankind under three headings. You see them on the screen here. If that is that kind of dim? We can turn off the lights, maybe. <laughs> That's fine. So the three headings, man is willfully ignorant, passionately rebellious, and condemned to die. So that's how we're going to unpack what you were reading in Romans one eighteen to 3.20. Uh, and you'll have some of those blanks on the handout in front of you. So, firstly, we'll start with mankind is willfully ignorant. Now, as you were reading this week, 
and as I already alluded to, what we see in Romans 1, 18 and following is not a pretty picture, right? It's not something that you would want to put on your resume, okay? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, well, we don't need to say more about that. Um, but this, this passage is a crucial passage in our understanding of mankind, in, in understanding ourselves, in understanding the world around us, and in understanding really what, what the gospel is all about and what the gospel fixes in mankind, if we could even say it that way. So I want to look at, at four verses specifically in Romans chapter 1, and, and ask you what they teach us about God and man. So firstly, let's re- look at Romans 1.9. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, I think I put all of them on the screen. I think. Um, so firstly, Romans 1.19 says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. So, Selah. Pause and think. <laughs> What does this teach us about God? And we'll, we'll have a separate discussion for what this teaches us about man. But firstly, what does this one verse, Romans 1.19, teach us about God? Our, our, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, God reveals himself yeah. in creation. Yeah. We know there's a creator because there's a creation. Jim? Well, Same I thing. Say something about our home group, uh, uh, Brandon. I'll be careful. Your leader's in the room. Yeah. <laughs> we go through half a verse, and we're there for like 45 minutes. Hey. Pretty neat. Yeah. I like it. Good. I've heard really good things, so that's good. And looking at that verse. Did you do the homework, Craig? No. <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> Now, go ahead, please. Tell us tell us what you think you learn about God from this verse. Well, okay. The, um, because God has shown it to them, and the question is, what has God shown to them? Mm. But then the next verse kind of... Like, yeah, yeah, and we'll get there. Oh, yeah, sorry. That's fine. If I would have done the homework, I would have. Wow. <laughs> maybe, maybe for next time. So... What I think we learn about God, and, and, well, let me ask the question first. What do we learn about man from this verse as well? What do we learn about mankind? Not to use your own point, but they are willfully ignorant. Yeah. If it's plain to them, yeah. and they refuse to accept it, then it's a willful ignorance. It's not this, it's not an ignorant ignorance. So right, right, like yeah. They're choosing it. Yeah. Yeah. If it's been made yeah. Right. It's just like Adam and Eve. They were well, Adam was told by God not to eat of the fruit of the right. dark the one tree. But he went and did it anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah, I was I listened to a podcast this week and it got me thinking about that whole exchange. And the question I was wondering, God tells Adam, and Adam most likely had the responsibility to tell Eve, but then the serpent tempts Eve, and Eve adds to what was instructed by God. So either Adam didn't 
clearly communicate to Eve what God had commanded, or there was a lack of trust on Eve's part. But either way, the instruction of God was clear, and they failed. <laughs> so, so what we learn from this passage, the knowledge of God is readily available. It's not something that we have to search for. God has made himself known. He has shown his power and existence to all people everywhere. He has done this simply by the act of creating. And so as I have already said, we know that there is a creator because there's a creation. So let's move to Romans 1.20. Because it further explains this where we read Romans 1.20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. What do we learn about God? He's the creator of the world. He's the creator. Mm-hmm. The creation reflects attributes of the creator. Yeah. Such as? His eternal power and divine nature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the idea behind his eternal power is the fact that he created something and thousands of years later it still exists. Yeah. Well, you can build a house and a thousand years later it's dust. <laughs> right, right. I believe the number is actually 700 years. If, if all humanity ceased to exist, it would take 700 years for the earth to reform itself, so to speak, to where humanity would have, like evidence of humanity would never have existed. <laughs> Cite your source, please. <laughs> I, I can even take it further than the, the verse, too. If we really, like, dig deep into creation, we can see, like, the logic of God in creation. Sure. Yeah. The perfection of God. Yeah. Yeah, one of, one of the most interesting presentations I've ever heard on this topic, um, I think I was at creation. And it was, it was Louis Giglio. This was years ago. Um, and, I, I mean, okay, he probably, I don't want to say he takes it too far, but he's, he's there's some editorial jumps that he might be making. But anyway, he, he's like looking at microscopic levels of things, and there's a protein or something called laminin. Have you, anybody seen this yeah. presentation? I think he wrote a book about it too. But at the... At the core of this protein is a cross. He's like, see, look, even even the proteins are telling... And I'm like, okay, well, yeah. I mean, we're still, you know, that's still not preaching the gospel. But it is showing that, that God exists and, and there, is, there is intricacies to his creation that are astounding. And, and so we see that in part from... Romans one twenty. What do we learn about man from this verse? Yeah. And that's even further explained in the next verse. Uh, but, but this verse is a crucial point to our entire discussion this morning. Um, scripture teaches that all people have knowledge of the existence of God. It's plain to them because he has shown his existence in creation. 
in the theology world, we refer to this as general revelation. It's general because it's given to all people. Which that also infers then that there's a another kind of revelation, and we refer to that one as special revelation. But general revelation is simply the fact that all people know God exists. So then we, we, we are forced to ask the question, based on these two verses, what does mankind do with this knowledge? And we've already hinted at it. Uh, they know it, and yet they ignore it. And that's where we come up with... Or they make something up. Or they make something up. It's interesting, if you look at a bunch of other religions, there's always a singular being above all mm-hmm. others. Yeah. Even though there's other gods in their religion, there is right. still one god above them all. Yeah. That's but priority, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Which religion are you referring to? So if you look at Bud- not Buddhism, Hinduism, um, if you look at um, the different gods that exist within them, they're either a human who has ascended or a offshoot of the original god. Um, if you look at a lot of Native American beliefs, they have spirits, um, but they all originate from a singular um, ancestor spirit. Right, the, um, what is it, grandfather spirit. Yeah. Grandfather. Yeah. I have a question on that verse. Yeah. Uh, which a lot of people, Christians, believe that um, so they are without excuse. Does this mean they see the nature that God made, the world, and that they know God because they see the nice trees outside? Do they know God that way? There, there's a certain level of relationship that you can have based on general revelation. So you can have the kind of relationship that says, there is a creator, there's someone who is above me. But if we are moving into to realms of, of a, a salvation sort of relationship where you are, uh, you know the Creator and are in right standing with Him, there's more that is required than just simply nature. And so what, what we're saying is no one will be able to stand before God at the judgment and say, I, didn't, I had no idea. I didn't know you existed. Um, and so, so based on general re- revelation, what we're seeing in these verses, uh, as we've already said, that we will be without excuse on what we did with the knowledge of God's existence. Yeah, so it says his eternal power and divine nature yeah. have been clearly, so his eternal power. So I don't know if I really want to see that. You know, no man can see God. Sure, anymore, you know? sure. I like to enjoy it, though. Yeah, and because of the work of Christ, you will. <laughs> yeah. Can I say something? Sure. Um, so I was, like, processing, like, I'm kind of way behind you guys right now, <laughs> but I was kind of processing the point or the um, kind of the goal of the story of Adam and Eve with the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, the, the back matrix point of that story is that... Um, when we, during our lives, we will be giving, given a lot of knowledge. So some of it will be good. Some of it might be evil, depending on what your perception is. But some of it will lead you away 
from God. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that might be part of the purpose of that story. Like when I read the Bible, I look at things like, um, kind of like it's kind of like you know we're all having we're all having these experiences with spirits right now, like ghost encounters and things like that. So one of the possibilities of those experiences is that what it says in the Bible about how God's going to raise the people from from you know from the dead and the end during the end times that could be what's going on, but it's just like. If you read something in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily, it's going to mean that that's exactly what God meant by portraying those ideas through that person's hand when he was writing it. You know what I mean? Like it could come later on in a different form. Um, I, I'm not sure I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> so. So like, for example, like the purpose of, or the point of Adam and Eve eating it, mm -hmm. um, the knowledge of good and evil is that we will acquire a lot of knowledge um, that may or may not lead us away or towards God. Okay. You know, and so I think that's why I got pretty, you know, upset because they went away from his word, but he's also giving us the choice to be able to use our brains and educate ourselves in all the different areas. And sometimes some of those areas, like certain cults or people who try to want to control you mm -hmm. might be away from God. You know what I mean? If you believe in a cult, yeah. They're leading you away. Yeah, it depends and spirits on what, and demons. It depends on what you de define as a cult, too. Sure. So, it's important for people to be educated in all religions so that we know not to judge. Because thou shalt not judge. Yeah. Well, I, but I think we do have to have that conversation in the realm of a objective truth. And so if there's, if there's, if we believe that what God has said is true, then something that is contrary to that is not true. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. yeah. And so in the, in the understanding of... Um, of different religions and, and I mean we've mentioned a few already I don't have a working knowledge of any Native American religions or a great knowledge of was it Buddhism I think that Hinduism I don't have a great working knowledge of either of those um, but if they're making claims that are contrary to what scripture says, then I think we're right understanding of the, the passage, do not judge, thou shalt not judge, is we can still reject that and say, well, you know, this is this is what God, God's word says. I, I don't know if I'm even addressing your question or not. I, I was, well, at first I was talking about something and then I kind of went off track, so I okay. understand why you don't, okay. you're, you're not understanding, but okay. I'm talking about like, the moral of the story. Okay. It's kind of like there's a story, right? And then there's like meaning behind the story, like a metaphor. So I believe that God talks in metaphors and in very creative ways. And um, I think God speaks to other people in other religions. Like, for example, the Europeans came and they forced Christianity on the Native Americans. 
the Native Americans had their own idea of what their God was, and God showed himself in the way that they could understand. And then once the Christians came, they, you know, made them, you know, resort or conform to Christianity or Catholicism, actually. And um, so I just thought that was, that was interesting. So I feel that it's not good to judge because God shows himself in other cultures before, you know, the New Testament was created. And mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like if you're living in a teepee and you, you've created your own um, uh, appreciating what, what God's made in a more tribal, earthy way, mm-hmm. I don't think that's bad. Yeah, and so so what I would say is is I don't think that they have the full picture. So so what we where we started um, was by saying all of Scripture tells one story, and the story uh, culminates in the work of Christ because the theme of the entire story is God saves, uh, and so Genesis to Revelation we see the salvation of God uh, being worked out in in different ways. Um, and if we look at any other story, if we look at a, you know, I think I mentioned, I think I said the Lion King because it's been on my mind a lot recently with a two-year-old at home, but, um, any, any good story has echoes of the great story and it's all going to point to, um, the greatest story that has ever been told in, in the salvation that God has has won for us in Christ, uh, but I think even even in even in good stories they fall short of of all of the glory uh, that is revealed in Scripture. But but other religions have aspects of of that story, um, and and so. <sighs> They're reflecting what has been intrinsically given to us in, in I think, even some of what we're seeing today, um, that we are reflecting God, we are um, given the knowledge of God in these things, uh, but good stories fall short of the great story, and the great story is what God has accomplished in the work of Christ, and um, I don't know, I could keep rambling, but yeah. Uh, do you, it sounds like you might believe in more than one God, or do you? No, I believe in God, one God. <clears throat> okay, because you said about another religion, they believe in their God, or... I respect all religions. Okay. I do not say, I do not feel that um, I am God, and that I know everything. Right. Is what I'm saying. That's what I'm here learning. Sure. You so, too. But I don't judge other religions, and I don't judge other people that believe certain things. But you believe in you God know? as... As the Bible says, God. I believe um, in a God that it's that is metaphorical, that is creative and artistic, and kind of shows us, <clears throat> kind of like uh, shows us, us different things in our lives and can change things, you know, in in our lives, like with the blowing of wind, like. I'm saying something out of my mouth, and it's sending like sound waves towards you, and so you're either either feeling something negative, something positive, or something in the middle, you 
know, so anytime I feel that God is communicating to me, it can be something abstract, like, you know, um, but at the same time, I have a brain. So if I am looking for a sign, then the sign might be shown to me. So I don't know. God is very intelligent and abstract and can communicate in many different forms. And that's why I don't feel that just Christianity has it all. You know what I mean? Like, um, I feel like Grandfather Spirit for the Native Americans was God for the Native Americans, you know. That's why I asked your question. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't believe in, in everything, like, exactly the way, like, in total literal. Like, I don't believe that that Adam created Eve with his rib. I don't believe that. Like, I believe that that story is just kind of like a meta metaphor. Uh, actually, God took the rib and made one of not Adam. Right, something like that, whatever. But I don't believe that men are above women at all. Craig, did you, did you have something to say? Yeah, just thinking back um, to uh, you know what God has shown man. You know, like we're talking about the um, general revelation. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking about some of the Native American tribes. Um, you know, like, there's like. And I was just thinking like how some of them um, were peace more peaceful peaceable tribes, like like the Nez Pierce or however you say that, you know, whatever the correct pronunciation of it. But um were more peaceful and like they you know, had like the Hopi that um, kind of were more conjuring up spirits and demons and um, just some of their practices were very dark uh, compared to some others. So it's kind of like what they did with different revelations of, I mean, kind of their, what they did with what they saw. And like even like down in Peru, I remember there was a tribe that this one um, linguist was working with, when they came to them, they said, like your grandfather or somebody had told him that someday somebody would come and tell them about God's son. I mean, yeah, tell them about God's son. It's like, how did they ever know that? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is like a tri Stone Age tribe. True. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I know Red Cloud's ancestor. And um, I, my... Um, my grandfather was the last Comanche chief's doctor. So the Comanches were very fierce. Like, you know, they were just like not having any Christians and the pilgrims come in and take their land. Um, and it's interesting how a lot of the Native American, you know, like Quinault Parker, he was the last Comanche chief and he decided that he wanted to integrate the, you know, European belief system. So he, I believe he became Christian and my grandfather was his doctor. So um, basically they still had their customs and death ceremony and things like that. But the whole process of the different uh, spiritual um, customs that they had were using sound, like the maraca, like when you shake the sound, sound sends vibrations and it 
kind of dispels the negative energy so that that's what they were doing and then using smoke and trying to get rid of any kind of negative things and then using these over the body to like kind of shake shake this nasty energy that was in their body that was causing the illness using sound and of course as we know with scientific experiments what sound can do um, but yeah so um, it all depended on your intention like what you were doing if yeah if you have a bad intention towards somebody you can pray negative things over them and that's a spell that's a negative thing um, if you pray positive things over people some people do it in different ways you know what I mean so um, I don't think they were doing evil things I think they were just trying to get their own messages from God and um, maybe they were there were some negative entities coming in you know just like in my life I have messages from God too but I also have some negative entities trying to come into my life that I always have to use like I anoint myself with oils I like put crosses on my mirrors and so that I don't watch pornography. I try to keep my mind clean, you know. I try to clean my house regularly, you know. So I'm always constantly trying to like do things to keep my spirit clean and stuff like that. And I pray, you know. So it just depends on the individual. And um, like I like to light candles and stare at a candle and try to get a message from God, you know. And some people would call that witchcraft, but I do, you know, I don't. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I don't call that witchcraft. I call it like trying to um, communicate with God on a deeper level like a priest would. You know what I mean? Yeah, I just realized I don't even know your name. Kari. Kari. <laughs> uh, I would love to continue the conversation. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I just I would love to, to talk more um, because I think you're, you have a lot of thoughts. and. Yeah, that's fine. Um, but also to be able to, I just, I don't know. I have a thing about trying to get through my notes in one class. <laughs> and no, that's all right. I, I mean, I. Can I say one other thing? On chapter two, it talks about <laughs> chapter two. It says, thou, thou art an inexcusable man. Who is ever thou art that judges? So that first verse. Jim. You're in chapter 2, verse 1. Yeah, I'm just bringing it up about judging. You. So Paul's talking about people that are judging people. Don't judge because you're doing the same thing they're doing. Yeah. So that's why I want to bring that up. Yeah, and I, we will get to 2.5, which is similar. Um, so we looked at Romans one twenty that God is visible in that he has created uh, and yet, mankind is willfully ignorant. So let's let's move to one twenty one, um, where it says, "For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened." So, what do we learn about God? When you say they. Talking about Paul's talking about uh, what Adam and Eve or just everybody? Mankind. Man, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty self-explanatory. 
We, we learn that God deserves honor and thanks. Yeah. He's worthy of our praise. What do we learn about mankind? That we don't give them. <laughs> yeah. God is worthy, but we don't honor Him. And so it's this, this rejection uh, that leads to foolishness thriving and rejection increasing. And so I think this is why... Um, this is why conversion requires the work of the Holy Spirit. So uh, when someone is saved, it's because the Holy Spirit has brought them to life. Uh, the Holy Spirit is removing our foolishness um, and even allows the willful ignorance to, to fall by the wayside because it's confronted uh, by God. And so I think from this verse, um, it tells us of, uh, if we continue to, to verse 32, it tells us a little bit more about this willful ignorance uh, and what takes place. So Romans one thirty two says, Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to, pra- to those who practice them. And, and so basic questions, what do we learn about God and what do, we, what do we learn about man? But there's one other question I want to ask of this text as well. Uh, if you have thoughts on what we learn about God and man, though, please share. Now these are Jews that Paul is basically talking to, I believe, anyway. They already know what the law says from Moses, Moses' law, law of Moses. And they know not to do all these things, but they go ahead and do them all, all already. So Paul's saying, you guys deserve to die, excuse me. And they go ahead and practice them anyway. Yeah. God's decree is righteous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you can extend that to the plural that his decrees yeah. are righteous. Yeah. But he is um, the final judge. He has the authority to say that those who do not follow my righteous decrees mm. deserve to die. Yeah. And that's the good thing about God. Paul saying, you guys deserve to die by God. Yeah, yeah. So the other question I wanted to ask, what, what do you think it means when it says, though they know God's righteous decree? What do you think that's referring to? Craig, were you going to ask that question? Well, no, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking back in my own life that I struggled with, you know, the idea of not wanting to be accountable to somebody and um, I'm not sure with, with everybody if this is kind of part of their problem, <laughs> you know, whatever, but, um, but to drown out the idea of, that I might possibly actually be accountable to somebody, sure. like the Lord, and I guess until I saw the Lord reveal to me my, my lostness and my sinfulness, and that I needed, and He I needed him, and he was reaching to me. Um, 
that then I was, you know, once I realized I was declared set free and forgiven, mm-hmm. you know, it's now, I mean, most of the time, I want his presence, you know. Um, I mean, there are times where I'd rather him not be, you know. Sure. But, um, so, you know, I'm just thinking of, you know, kind of what we see in our world and back, you know, all, all times, but like to drown out and to get deeper and deeper into things that drown out and actually I might be someday accountable for what I do. Right, yeah. I think the question of like what exactly is God's righteous decree in this verse is really important hmm. because like you see a theme here of worship. Mm-hmm. Of people are not worshiping God as they should be, not honoring, giving Him thanks. But you also see a theme here of morality, mm-hmm. of people who are doing really bad things. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm not sure how those connect, but I think that you know those themes need to be present when we talk about this verse of what is God's righteous decree. Yeah. Yeah, and so we've got two minutes left, so. <laughs> no homework this week. No, no, it's fine. I, and we can pick up more on this next week, but, but I think what Paul means by saying God's righteous decree is the, the inbuilt moral sense of right and wrong. And I think we, if we read through the Old Testament, we would see different, it, it worded in different ways, where God has written his law on our hearts. Um, and so the righteous decree of God is, is given to all people uh, where they have, they have the inbuilt moral sense to know this is right, this is wrong. However, the more we deny the existence and power of God, the less we recognize this. And, yeah. Worship other things. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like to I like to say that our lives are a a war of worship and the way to um avoid sin is to worship rightly because in sin we're worshiping ourselves. As the great theologian and rapper Shai Lin has said, all sin has I in the middle of it. Selah. And so what I I don't have time. I don't have time. Okay, that's fine. Uh, I want to pick this up next week because it is a very important point for us uh, to have some clarity on. But when we're looking at the righteous decree, what I want you to go away with is that this is something that everyone has. Uh, It's something that God has given uh, to us so that we can know right and wrong. However we can reject it. So we'll pick up there with what that leads to in Romans and in our lives next week. Uh, But let me close our time in prayer. Father, we're so thankful for uh, your word that you've given to us. And we ask that you would uh, help us to worship rightly, uh, not to worship ourselves, but to worship you and you alone, for you alone are worthy. We thank you for what you have done for us in Christ, and we pray that you would uh, help us 
uh, to walk faithfully uh, to all that you've called us to. We praise you and thank you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yes. No, we don't. You'll have you'll have homework next week. You can read the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, do last week's homework. Oh, it's okay. I'm right there with you. It, it's my fault. I I pulled Craig. Oh, if it makes you feel better, I did read it like three years ago. That makes me feel so much better.